It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Movies You Should Love podcast. MoviesYouShouldLove.com is our fantastic website where you can always join in on the conversation. Uh, tell us what you think about what we're saying. You know, yell at us uh, uh, or, you know, completely agree with us, as we hope most of you do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and at Movies You Should is a pl- the place where we fill the Twitterverse with all of our important information. Yeah, so join us either place, moviesyoushouldlove.com or Movies You Should on Twitter. Um, so this week we are discussing number 89 on AFI's top 100 films of all time, The Sixth Sense. The very um, spooky, very surprising Sixth Sense. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's been interesting. We'll get into that in, in just a little bit. But first, Scott, have you seen any other good movies here recently? Boy, howdy. Have I? <laughs> Um, I've been watching uh, Sherlock just came back on, which is I know it's like in the TV show. I'm counting it as a movie you should love because for the past two years now, basically the BBC have been making uh, three Sherlock movies and they just released them on three consecutive Sunday nights. They're each are 90 minutes long. And so far, each of the three have been like, you have original Sherlock movies, uh, stories that are being written by the producers of the show. And then you have like one or two, adaptations and this mm-hmm. new this second season or series has been uh phenomenal and the benedict cumberbatch continues to be just again to use the word phenomenal um the first episode wasn't kind of an original story as far as i'm aware um that involved irene adler who people might know because um, she's the character uh, rachel mcadams played in the two sherlock movies with robert downey jr um and she's also in the book. Uh, yes, she is. Scandal in Bohemia. Yes. Okay. So that 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 was based on a. Yes. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't familiar with this particular story. Um, I've read several of the Sherlock books, and this one I wasn't familiar with. That, that first one, um, just great. And if for uh, the this Irene Adler is very very different and very very <laughs> amazing in her own way. Uh, if you try to compare it to Rachel McAdams' character. Um, just fantastic they've been so good this the second episode the third one airs uh this sunday night um the second one was an adaptation of the the hounds of baskerville this one was called the hound no the first the original book was the hounds of baskerville the show was called the hounds of baskerville they just moved the s um and it was just a just a great approach to taking a what could be a supernatural story and rooting it in science and making it very relevant to today and making it very spooky and very scary and very funny. And I love the show and I hope they've already announced there's going to be a third series of these and find them on Netflix, wherever you can find them. They are well worth your time. This is like, they're taking Sherlock. They've put him in a modern setting, which some people immediately kind of responded to in a negative way, but I'm okay with it because um, Conan Doyle was writing him to be a contemporary character, and they're uh, they've created him as a contemporary character to us. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to agree <laughs> with Scott on this one. It's uh, these are fantastic. Uh, I mean, the first season blew me away. The second season continues, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, yeah, you you can't go wrong watching these. Get them down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Mar- again, Martin Freeman plays Watson, who uh, you'll recognize as the... <laughs> he's playing Bilbo in The Hobbit, as well as he played 
Um, uh, you know, just a slew of wonderful characters. He was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide. He was in Nativity yeah. that we talked about on the Christmas episodes. Um, he he's was a in, favorite of he's ours. In, apparently, yeah, he's in Love Actually. <laughs> he's he's a great actor. Um, so I saw that, and then I also recently uh, rewatched Fright Night, which is a movie I saw in the theaters when it first came out because. I wasn't super interested in the movie, but when it comes to all things media, I believe you need to vote with your dollar. And so I will see whatever movie David Tennant is in, um, <laughs> even if it doesn't look terribly interesting. That being said, I really, really enjoyed Fright Night. Um, technically, it is a remake of a 1980s movie of the same name. I have not seen the original. I'm not super interested in the original. Um, but this is really a fun horror film. Um, it's a vampire film. It's basically about this kid living in the suburbs of Las Vegas. And uh, he kind of starts to suspect that his next-door neighbor, Jerry, is a vampire. Um, which is just which is a recurring joke, too. Jerry, that is the worst vampire name ever. <laughs> and that his next-door neighbor is played by Colin Farrell. Um, his mom is played by Tony Collette, who was also in The Sixth Sense, which we'll be talking about here shortly. The main actor is uh, Anton Yelchin, who is... Uh, Oh, who was in Star Trek. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's a really solid film. It's written by mm-hmm. Marty Noxon, who uh, wrote uh, a lot of great episodes for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, this movie um, helped de- helped me define what I like about the vampire as a character or as a creature or as a thing. I know, Lauren, I, I've gone back and forth with you and other people on Facebook in the past, well before this podcast, about you know, what can you take away from a character? What things can you change from a creation before it stops being that creation? This movie helped me define what I think is the vampire metaphor. And I'll post a link to it on our website um, because I, I put I posted a full blog about this when I first saw the movie. Um, what I think the vampire is and why what I like about the vampire. And I know some people can argue different things about different things. <laughs> um, but, uh, for me, this is the kind of vampire I like, and this is the kind of vampire I think, kind of, what a vampire should be. I think there's a very specific metaphor that the vampire is, and I think if you take away too many things from that metaphor, you stop being a vampire. But, that being said, I would highly recommend it. David Tennant steals the show when he shows up. He is definitely in a supporting role in this movie, playing Peter Vincent, this uh, Las Vegas magician, basically, a showman who also is a vampire uh, expert. It's a, it's, a, it's an R-rated vampire uh, comedy, so expect all things that would imply. That being said, it's very, very fun, and I hope there's a sequel that focuses on the future adventures of Peter Vincent starring David Tennant. I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also saw uh, Puss in Boots, which was uh, terribly fun. It's a spinoff of the Shrek uh, franchise. Uh, focusing on Puss in Boots, played by Antonio Banderas, or ben- Antonio Banderas's voice. Yes. Um, so let me let me ask you this about mm-hmm. this, Scott. The first couple of Shrek movies, I was totally on board with, and then like mm-hmm. three and four happened, and I kind of went, eh. Yes. Puss in Boots. Bring bring that into the context of okay. me liking the first couple, and I, then kind of I love the eh. first one. I, I don't know how many times I've seen the first one. Second one, I thoroughly enjoyed. The third one, I saw once in the theater. And the fourth one I still have never seen. That's basically where I stand, because the third one was just... I don't want to... This is movies you should love. I don't want to talk poorly of terrible movies. So I'll talk about Puss in Boots. Um, 
Puss in Boots is a lot of fun. It has absolutely nothing to do with Shrek. Shrek is not mentioned. Um, I'm actually completely unaware of when this... If you're trying to line up a chronology of the of the world of Shrek, I don't know where this falls in. I don't know if this is a prequel, a sequel, a uh, story that's taking place at the same time as the first movie. It is, a, it is completely its own thing. You could walk into this not knowing anything about... Uh, Puss in Boots as he is in the Shrek movies um, and it would be fine basically what you get in this is a animated cat playing Zorro nothing about that sounds bad yeah it, it, it's, <laughs> it's a terribly fun movie um, don't think about the plot it doesn't make any sense um, especially it, it, it's fine until the last 10 minutes when you go wait okay this falls apart now <laughs> Like there's a twist at the end that does not need to does that does not need to exist, and it's a twist that almost invalidates parts of the movie um, in a weird way, um, which I won't get into. But if you don't think about it and you're just there for a fun, funny, uh, animated Zorro, it's you're going to enjoy it. You know, Antonio Banderas, um, Zach Galifianakis plays a very creepy uh, Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that. Yeah. Uh, Salma Hayek is in it, so they're reteaming from Desperado, which is awesome. And she's playing this uh, this uh, cat who had has lost her claws. She was declawed by her masters, and so she's got these very soft, fluffy paws that helps her steal. She's a cat burglar, um, very literally. Uh, Jack and Jill feature in this. There's a big part of the story, which I didn't realize from trailers, is Jack and the Beanstalk feature very heavily in this film. So, I mean, it is definitely in the same kind of world as Shrek, where you have this uh, intertwining of fairy tale creatures all existing in the same world um, as they try to basically, they're trying to find the magic beans and or the goose that lays the golden egg is the main MacGuffin of the film. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's. We went to see it at the cheap theater, and I wouldn't have been... It's the kind of movie that I'm glad I saw it at the cheap theater, but if we went and saw it at the expensive theater, it wouldn't have made me angry. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, good. This is what, you know, Shrek 3 and 4 should have been. I haven't seen 4, I shouldn't judge it, but this is at least what Shrek 3 should have been. Something more like this. Just a fun adventure that can, you know... You know, just like Shrek, it's got some adult humor in it. Um but for the most part, I think most of it's going to go right over most people's head or most little children's, you know, head. Um, the best parts of this movie are when you have, cause you have him basically being Zorro for most of the movie. And then also they kind of, they'll have a, a quick moment to remind you, Nope, he's still a cat, <laughs> you know? So like, he goes into a bar and he's all, you know, big and brave and he orders a shot of milk and he licks it out of there, you know, like a cat licks <laughs> the milk. And so it's just like, oh, that's adorable. Oh, wait, no, he's a cat and he kills people with a sword. That's great. <laughs> um, lots of fun. Uh, last movie I saw, I uh, found it on Netflix. Um, it's called Six Days to Air. This is a 45-minute documentary on the making of a South Park episode. Hmm. Because basically, South Park is in a place now where each of their episodes are made in six days. Um, they have a one-week turnaround in between each of their episodes. And this is just a fascinating, fascinating look at the making of an episode. This takes place at the start of... I don't know which season it is, but it's the season directly after uh, their Broadway musical, The Book of Mormon, opened. And so it starts off with them kind of going, oh, right, we have to go make a cartoon now, and it needs to be funny and relevant, and it needs to have a commentary on these things the way South Park does. Um, and so you see them go from you know nothing to having a 
you know, full 22 minute episode of something in basically six days. Wow. Um, it, that, it's, that, that, that sounds like a scary production process. Yeah. It's, it, it's immediately daunting and exciting and, um, impressive. And just like, it, I was very involved with it. I was like, it was a very well done documentary. It's very interesting. The only caveat I would throw out there is if you're not a fan of South Park humor, you're going to get a lot of it because you're seeing the creation of what I personally think is one of it's there's an episode called human Sentipad, which is their commentary on basically people, um, both people who love Apple and people who, uh, how how comfortable we have become clicking i agree to all of the all the, that list of you know whatever the, the every, terms of service, yeah, terms kind of of service. Every, nobody reads those everybody clicks agree what if that was what if there was actually something terrible in there that you were agreeing to and you didn't know because you no one reads it um so what are you agreeing to and it, so they kind of that's where they want you to think i think you know they want you to think about those things that being said they take it to a very gross place because they also bring in the movie uh human centipede into it uh, which is a foul, foul movie, which I will not watch. But, you know, it's like, so there is some grossness in this documentary because they're, they're showing how they come up with this joke. And if you if you prefer not to think of such things, you might not be able to enjoy the full documentary. Um, that being said, it's, you know, it's on Netflix streaming. It's free if you have Netflix. So uh, I would recommend it. I really enjoyed it. I like South Park, though. Yeah. Um, well, I've seen a couple of, of movies, a couple of mainstream kind of things, and then uh, something that I'll get into here in a minute. But um, the the two like really mainstream movies that I've seen, uh, maybe a little late to the party on them, but whatever. Um, Super Eight mm-hmm. uh, was the first one, uh, and I loved it. I loved Super Eight. I have it, nothing bad to say about that movie. Yeah. It it was. Um. You know, it it was billed as kind of a horror movie, and that was kind of how it was done, kind of horror sci-fi kind of thing. And it is. I mean, it definitely is. It's a, it's a creature film. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, most of the movie is this group of, like, five kids who are running around making a Super 8 zombie movie, you know, in the 70s. Yeah. And they are fantastic. It's, I mean, this is the movie... That when I was a kid, I wished my life was like this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe the best way I can explain it. Like, I, as a child, would have loved to have been any of the kids yeah. in this film. Yeah. Um, and, like, like the books that I was reading at the time, the movies that I was watching, was all trying to create the adventure that these kids have in this movie. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, and so it's fantastic. children actors who, like... Yeah, they're all great, but then Elle Fanning shows up and playing the girl, and maybe it was just me, but I felt like she elevated everybody. Like, yeah, she, everybody was great, but when she showed up, all the guys were like, "Oh, we got, we have to get, we have to be better now." Yeah, because she brings something out of them. She brings this mm-hmm. not only the not only in the story and not only within the characters, but I feel like within the acting itself, yeah, it just it gets better and everything. No, I, just, I agree. I think it was. I think it was. I think the the acting mirrored what was happening in the story. Yes. When she showed up, and I think that was just a brilliant. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was planned. I don't, you know, but it's exactly what would happen when you introduce like the girl into the group, group of five guys. guys. Yeah, you know, it's the exact thing that that 
would happen in real life happens in the story. Yeah. And I think also happened in real life in the making. Exactly. As, yeah. it's, it's kind of fantastic. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I have nothing bad to say about it other than it is a creature movie. So if you don't really like those kinds of, you know, somewhat scary, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not overly scary, but it is definitely, it has its you know, moments. you will, you will jump a few times. And if, you know, if you have someone who, hits you or something while you're watching it uh i can imagine somebody like that that you may know <laughs> yeah uh yeah she she didn't actually watch it with okay. me i watched it late at night but i imagined that she was the whole yeah. time so yeah anyhow no, that, um the, the, it was great it was great because it's 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 jj abrams who i really really love but i kind of felt like it was the it's uh close encounters of the third kind with the cast from et you know it's like you kind yeah. of mesh those two movies with maybe just a little Goonies thrown in yeah. somehow for good measure. A little I don't Goonies, know. maybe but, a little bit of Jaws. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really if you enjoy kind of that seventies cinema kind of the, thing, like 80s, like the yeah. yeah, like that Spielberg. Uh, oh man, it looks so much thing. like it's one of those it, movies. Yeah, it, it it's like a lost Spielberg movie yeah. basically. Um, it just doesn't have that many Spielberg shots. So right. definitely has the J.J. Abrams lens flare. So yeah. you know, it's a J.J. Yeah. Abrams film. Yeah, it does have a Spielberg but, face. <laughs> no Spielberg face, but um, no, it's it's great. I loved it. Um, the other movie that I saw was Cowboys and Aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen that yet, Scott, or not. Okay. Yeah. Um, I liked it, but I was also kind of disappointed by it. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like, reading... Before the movie started, it pops up. I watched it on DVD. It pops up the uh, the MPAA rating for it, right? And like the first line of it says, like rated PG thirteen for uh, Western and sci fi action, and like or something like that. I just went. Nothing about that sentence sounds like it could possibly be bad. Like all of that sounds like the perfect melding of everything I love. Yeah. Right. And then the movie starts, and like it's good. Uh-huh. But it's almost kind of like it was written in this way where it's like, okay, we're writing a Western, and we want there to be aliens in it. Right. And so, what are the obligatory Western scenes that we need to have? Okay, we need to have <laughs> right. a lone guy showing up in the desert. We need to have a bar fight. Yeah. We need to have um, a gunfight in the middle of the street. We need to have um, a showdown with the outlaws. We need to have the, the Indians show up. You know, we need to... Ha- and, like, and like it, that's kind of how the movie progresses. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, and now how can we twist that and throw an alien into that scene? Yeah. And I would really have loved if it had been a real story rather than a whole group of individual scenes. They're like, instead okay, of a collection take- of tropes. Yes, like <laughs> all westerns have this. We need to include it and then put aliens into it. Yeah. If it had been a no, we're actually including a bar fight because there's a reason to have a bar fight now. Yeah, there's a you know. And if there's an alien, great. If there's not an alien, great. You know, it's... I, I think that would have made it a stronger movie if they had approached it as a real story. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to a concept of cowboys and aliens. Right. So that's my biggest gripe with it. That said, it has it has a level of actor in it. I mean, uh, you know, Harrison Ford... Say, and, I love seeing Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford on screen together. Yeah, Dan- like, I mean... Daniel Craig, like seeing him next to him, I went, "Oh, you could be the next Harrison Ford." Yeah, you could, and <laughs> and, and you know, so so like the actors, I think elevated a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, the filmmaking was 
was well done. Mm-hmm. It just, I think, I think it kind of fell apart for me in some of the scripting early on in the writing of I it. I could definitely see that because that was one of my biggest gripes about it was that it felt like part of a store, a bigger story that we were never going to get the whole story to. It's like, why were the aliens there? We see that they're mining gold, but why? Mm-hmm. And like, like they're, yeah, like we don't get really anything. Which I know part you and part of you could say, well, that's that's the point because that's we're putting the cowboys in the Indians' perspective. And when the when the cowboys showed up and started, you know, fighting them for their gold, the Indians didn't understand, and that was going on. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that argument, but. I kind of feel like for a story, we should be given just a little bit more. And there's yeah, it, and that leads to these weird elements like, why was that boat upside down in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Where did that yeah, come it, from? It's yeah, cool, it, but it what? was definitely not it was not enough of a social commentary to warrant itself. Yeah. You know, if you were if it was going to go that social commentary route on the treatment of, of Native Americans when you know that needed to be way more upfront yeah. with it, I think. And and I think there was a whole different way to write this movie if that was going to be the case. Yeah. Um if it was going to be a sci-fi movie with with cowboys, it there was a different uh, it just never quite gelled into what it wanted to be. Yeah. And I still think it's a fantastic idea. It just never yeah, got there I, for this movie. I love the idea because I mean you we see so many alien invasion movies. It's kind of I like the idea that aliens could have invaded 200 years ago mm-hmm. what would have that been like we've seen what it looks like when they blow up the white house but what if they showed up in the west mm-hmm. why not that's it's, yeah it's a great idea and i like the character that olivia wilde plays mm-hmm. but i also wanted more of her story because it's kind of like well hold on ah <laughs> you know like it's not quite, i agree it's not quite there but there's so much there's a lot in that movie i really do like yeah but yet the pieces aren't quite put together in the right way Exactly. So that's um, that's kind of my take on that. So uh, the last movie that I saw um, was on Netflix streaming. Uh, it's called Double Dare. Oh, I watched this as a kid. This is a, a game show. No, it is not. Uh, this came out um, in 2005. Um, and this movie, it's a documentary um, that follows two Hollywood stunt women. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, the first one that it follows is uh, Jeannie Epper, who was Linda Carter's stunt woman on Wonder Woman, Ooh. and and dozens, literally dozens of other things that she was a stunt woman on. Mm-hmm. And then the second uh, woman that it follows is Zoe Bell. Oh, I know who, Zoe Bell, who uh, started out on Xena, and she um, was in um, Kill Bill. That, yes, and she was actually played herself, or she played a character in a. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's other film, where she's on t- on the roof of the car. Yes, Death Proof. Yes, and she was in Lost for a yes. scene. <laughs> yes. So Zoe Bell is the second, um, and it starts. It's it's fascinating. It it covers a couple of years, and it's not a movie about stunts. Like it's not a movie where it's like here's how they do stunts, mm-hmm. which is I think what a stunt movie could easily become. Um, you know, I think we've seen that a lot of times, or like specials on TV, like mm-hmm. here's how they did the stunts in Star Wars, or whatever. You know, it's it's which is interesting, but this is so much more interesting to me because this is this movie kind of does what I want movies you should love to do. It's kind of that behind the scenes. Here's what it is actually like to be a stunt woman, mm-hmm. not even just on set, but like you get some of that. But even like beyond that, like how do they get the job? 
how do they how do they track this down what is it like to be unemployed for so long as a stunt woman and then like get the call from quentin tarantino or yeah it's it's fantastic it's not going to be um you know other than a few stunt sequences here and there which is pretty sparse throughout the movie it's it's not going to be action-packed or anything it is you know a lot of people like sitting around in houses talking or um i mean it's going to have scenes of uh genie epper um you know going through her rolodex calling up every person she knows trying to find a job Interesting. um you know it's going to be that kind of a movie okay. but that said it's fascinating especially as the storylines because they're following Zoe Bell in New Zealand and they're following Jeannie Epper in LA mm-hmm. as their storylines kind of start to connect mm-hmm. and you kind of get this mentorship thing from the older stunt woman and you also see kind of the politics of the uh, of the different stunt people um, unions and the sort of things and then like talking about how they fit into the world of sentiments of it's just a fascinating fascinating look at a behind-the-scenes um, world that most people don't really have any clue how it operates. Um, anyhow, so, really, really worth your time. Cool. Um, it's, it's probably my favorite out of all of the movies I've talked about. It's, I, I loved it. Interesting. So, Like I said, I just added it to my list, and I will uh, be checking that out. Yeah, so, definitely uh, uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. <sighs> okay. Which brings us to The Sixth Sense. And I just want to remind our listeners that we are a podcast that analyzes film. And so from this point forward, as, you know, spoilers abound. So if you have not seen The Sixth Sense and you don't want to be spoiled, which is, I believe, the way to see this film, um, it's really best just to go into this movie knowing as little as possible. You know, just just hear the synopsis and then walk away. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let me say one other thing to that. If you have already had it spoiled, or if you have seen this movie before, but it's been since 1999 when it came out, and you saw it in the theaters then, and you haven't seen it since, or if you've just heard everything about it and are kind of like, eh, I don't really want to see this. Right, I now, get it. Because cause I, I know the surprising, shocking twist at the end. The movie still works. Yes. This is something that you need to know up front if you don't want to hear all of the spoilers that are coming up either way, either place that you are, it's still worth it. It's not going to ruin the movie. If you know the twists to it. Absolutely. So there you go. Absolutely. Um, this movie, as you know, you may or may not know, was written uh, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It was released in 1999. And uh, basically, it is about a boy who sees ghosts or spirits. And it's about the uh, child psychologist who tries to help him. Child psychologist is played by Bruce Willis. Uh, the the boy is Haley Joe Osmond. Osmond? Um who you might recognize as the son of Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump or the little boy from AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or kid in secondhand lions. Yes, that as well. Um, and I don't know where to begin, but I hadn't seen this movie since it. Like, I the first time I saw this movie was when it had first come out on video back in 1999. Uh, that video I saw it on VHS. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen this movie in 13 years. Um, Kelly had never seen it. She knew, you know, the punchline to the film. She knew the the twist um but that's all she knew and we sat down last night and watched it and we were both together blown away by this movie 
um, you know, and which just it. I forgot how good this movie is, or maybe I never completely realized how well to put together this film is. Like just from like top to bottom, it's like it is a wow. <laughs> yeah, it you know it was. Um, I really didn't want to rewatch this again. Yeah, when um, I saw on the list at first, I was like, "Really? Okay." I, like I almost didn't watch it. And I was just going to kind of blow through this podcast, and I was like, "No, our listeners deserve me to actually <laughs> see the movie I'm about to talk about." Um, but I really didn't want to see it again because I had seen it uh, within a couple of years of it coming out. I probably saw it on VHS, maybe DVD at that point. I don't know, but I mean, it would have been it would have been between 1999 and 2001. I probably saw it somewhere in there, and I remembered it being okay. I didn't remember much about it other than the twist at the end Mm -hmm. and i was kind of thinking i really don't care i know the twist at the end which means i'm going to be suffering through this movie just to get to the surprise twist ending and i've seen all of m night Shyamalan's other movies up through um lady in the water yeah and i'm kind of good yeah you know i i I get get, it i get i get it i get there's a twist and i get that he's you know doing this thing yeah so I was really happy to actually see the movie once I actually watched it and went, wow, there's a reason this movie was actually nominated for six Academy Awards. Yes. Um, That's the part that nobody remembers. This movie was actually nominated yeah. for six Academy Awards. And for good reason. It's like, this movie could could have so easily failed and have been really just a kind of a terrible movie. Um, mm-hmm. But the script is so well put together, so solid. Um from the, the slow reveals, um, and then the directing is spot on, and then you have a, just a phenomenal cast who just uh, kind of astonish you. Astonish you. you know, you have Bruce Willis, Tony Collette is in this as Haley Joel Osment's um, uh, mother. Olivia Williams is in this, who I recognized from. Um, I think she was recently on Dollhouse, and I think she was on Deadwood. Maybe I don't know, um, but. Uh, just a solid cast that you know are able to bring life to that script and are able to take I assume you know Shyamalan's direction and make something and they pace themselves so well with the reveals and with the way they layer their performances that you just you buy into it and all of a sudden you realize um, like you go into this movie and you know two things even if you don't know well if, I'm, I'm considering you know the reveal already but even if you don't know the reveal you know I see dead people. It's in the trailers. Everybody knows that's what this movie is. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the movie, that's not revealed for almost 45 minutes. It's it's almost literally right at the middle of the movie. I, I actually paused and looked at like my, my bar at the bottom of, of my DVD player yeah. and was like, oh, this is almost literally, he says, I see dead people right at the midpoint of the movie. And that's what's, yeah, because up till that point, all we're being given is a kid who's troubled. We're just mm-hmm. giving this kid that's like he's clearly not having a good life, and you have this child psychologist who's has a marriage who's crumbling, you know, and you just have this. But it's still fascinating and it's still creepy because things mm-hmm. are happening around the kid that you don't quite understand and you don't know what's going on. And then he has that reveal, and then the movie kind of does this shift where you start exploring what that means that I see dead people, and you start getting into the kid's head a little bit more and you're you're shown a little bit more of the kid's world and um 
I was just, I was just kind of, I kind of sat through the whole movie, just kind of astounded, and just, it just, it pulls you in. And mm-hmm. if you're following me on Twitter, I, I, I live tweeted like the whole my whole movie experience, and this movie has an emotional resonance to it that I was not expecting, and that, um, and I would like to get into this conversation with you. Maybe this is a good time to do it. Um, why aren't more horror films like this? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because um, this is, this movie has. Uh, what maybe five times where you actually see like the horrific mm-hmm. creature, if you will. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not really a creature movie. It's I mean you see the ghosts. When you see ghosts, yeah. I mean it may be five times. Yeah. throughout the the movie, the rest of it is almost all just the kid reacting or just being scared out of his mind. Yeah. Um, and and the whole thing is it's not. It's not horror through shock value mm-hmm. for the most part. It's not horror through gore or blood. It is horror through psychology. It is like, this is a horrible thing. This mm-hmm. is horrifying. Whatever it, is going on is just disturbing. Yeah. It is It is. what is going on with yeah. these, these people. Kelly and I got into this conversation after the movie. Mm-hmm. I went, more, why aren't more horror films this way? She goes, well, this isn't a horror film. This is a thriller. This is suspense. And I'm like, but that's what horror should be. That's what horror is. I, feel I mean, that, that is classically what it was. Right. When you go back to Alfred Hitchcock, he made horror films. Not all of them, but I mean, you look at Psycho, you look at those movies, mm-hmm. you go, you look at Birds, that's a horror film. Mm-hmm. And then she went, no, no, a horror film is like, you know, people with knives and, you know, gore. I'm like, no, that's a bad movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean that that came in in the eighties. You know that was that, you know you can, that's a new thing to cinema, right? You can have good and bad movies in all genres, and a bad movie doesn't have to necessarily take over the genre. You know, you can you look at comedy. You can have movies like uh, you know movies like Bridesmaids, which is kind of the the new rated R kind of slightly gross out, very crass comedy, which is like you know joke 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 joke. And then you can go back and watch Oscar Wilde, uh, the importance of being earnest. They belong to the same genre, but they're clearly different kinds of mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Um, and so it's like we don't have to give horror over to the Saw franchise. We don't have to let horror you know, exist only for Freddy and Jason and that. And those movies can exist. I'm not trying to say they shouldn't, but mm-hmm. to me, that's a form of horror. And to me, it's, you know, no offense to anybody, it's a lesser form of horror. It's one that doesn't leave you with anything. It doesn't have a lasting impression other than that was really funny when the guy said that line before he got decapitated. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, it's, it's definitely the difference between um, shocking Mm-hmm. And um, creating a uh, uh, something that mentally sticks with you, you know, yeah. kind of that that psychological disturbance, yeah, if you will, I, that really makes you think something, yeah, yeah. And and in general, I mean, I think this is. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is why you and I both, Scott, are really interested in film, is that we really do think it is a place to have a larger conversation about things. Um, And so I know you and I are both incredibly drawn to movies that, um, you know, raise questions or make people think or that have, um, you know, something beyond them than just the two hours you spent in front of a screen. Yeah. And and so, it, in a way, it was really, really refreshing to see something in a genre that I don't typically enjoy very much. Mm-hmm. 
that really did that. Horror films and me don't get along. I just, I don't enjoy the darkness. I don't enjoy the depression. I don't enjoy the dread, you know, and that's what most horror films offer you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it does not appeal to me. It's like, I don't mind gritty. I don't mind dark. I don't mind things that are, you know, generally unpleasant to think about. I don't mind that. But when all you have to offer is like, Ten kids, one killer. Which one will live? It's like that's not fun. That's just Russian roulette, you know. Like that's not entertainment for me, you know. Um, but this, this, you know, I don't know. I feel like this movie, even though this is a, they're dealing with things I don't necessarily believe in. Um, it's like I bought into it. You know, I was able to put my, you know, my own personal beliefs and feelings off to the side over here, and I got sucked into this kid's world. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to remember this movie now. And it's a movie that I was very emotionally invested in. And as I said in the last podcast, I cried during War Horse and I cried during this movie. And I did not expect that. I was sitting there, there's this final moment, the very last uh, scene of the movie where the, the boy finally says, Mom, I'm ready, I'm ready to tell you what I've been experiencing. It is like the, one of the most amazing scenes I've seen in you know, mm-hmm. a long time. And I was getting choked up and just going like, this poor kid, somebody hug him. Can I hug him? Yeah. Come here, someone hug this kid. <laughs> well, and, and that's what's amazing about this movie to me, is that it's dealing with kind of this whole world of child psychology and um, parenting and, and all of this kind of thing. And it could... The, the genre is used to enhance the issues of this child. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's really a movie about all of these of dealing with kids in the way that that dealing with with kids who are outsiders um you know the big the big word in this movie that Haley Joel Osment's character really deals with is the word freak you know he yes. feels like a freak there's places where people call him a freak multiple times in the movie and yeah um, he's called and, a freak and the other big word that where he gets his resolution is communicate it's like, yeah. that's what needs to happen is communication yeah. And and so this is a movie where this is really what it's about. And so, um, you know, ghosts or no ghost, I mean, this could be a movie about just a, you know, emotionally disturbed kid who's been abused or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it could be that movie instead of a movie with ghosts. It just, this is used as a element to, to really heighten what's going on here Absolutely. and really push that into focus. Using, and it's, that's, that's when genres for me work mm-hmm. the best. When you use science fiction, when you use horror to explore something you know you're not saying mm-hmm. oh the kid was abused because as soon as you say oh this kid was abused it brings in all of these other connotations it brings in all mm-hmm. of these other things but if you say oh this is a dalek then you don't have mm-hmm. to call it a nazi and you can discuss uh, fascism through this metaphor that goes across the screen and you go oh okay and that's what this movie does so well because it, then it, yeah, it brings up those the thoughts those feelings those conversations yeah so um to me that uh, that is a huge achievement of filmmaking to be able to have that level of conversation while also having a fantastic genre movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, here, here's the thing. I mean, uh, at, this is the point where we're actually going to say what the twist is. So if you've listened to this point and don't know, and you want to stop um, now's the time, because the twist is that at the end, we see that Bruce Willis's character um, who's helped the kid through all of this mm-hmm. turns out, 
to have been dead the entire movie. He's another ghost that the kid has seen. Right. Um, because and we, we, we are, have already been introduced to this idea that ghosts are finding Haley Joe Osmond's character. They're finding right. him because they need a resolution so that they can, I don't know, either pass on or they can rest in peace. Um, or, or whatever it is. Whatever it is. That, that's not completely mm-hmm. explored, but we do know the people who are contacting him are people who need help. Right. And the way the story unfolds, Bruce Willis just shows up as a child psychologist who's there to help this disturbed kid. And so that's what you're given through mm-hmm. the entire movie until the last five minutes of the film where it goes, what you saw, you did not see. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is it works both ways. If yep. you have if you have never seen this movie before and you don't know the twist, sorry that we just spoiled it, but we warned you. Our apologies. Um, yeah. But the point is, is that it works and you don't realize until that last five minutes despite it being incredibly clear yeah bruce willis was dead the whole movie when it works when you know it and you watch it it's it's so obvious because because when you watch it it's there he never ever interacts with another character in the movie Mm -hmm. he never opens a door or i mean he he doesn't he does do some world interaction but it's it's never it's always never his own character yeah, you it's know, never with other people. He has things that he writes. He does things, but you don't see him, you know, opening a drawer. You don't see him going, "Oh, I'm going to go do this now. I'm going to, you know, I'm driving a car." No, he's on the bus with him. He just like, mm-hmm. and he just appears sometimes. Like on the bus, you see him. You see the little boy looking out the window. Then all of a sudden, Bruce Willis is there talking mm-hmm. to him. And the way it's and edited, you just go, "Oh, that's just he was there the whole time." I just didn't see it. Yeah, because yeah. it's not like you see the whole bus. And then he appears. It's just, oh, and he's also there. But once you see it, you go, why would a child psychologist be on a bus going with this kid to a funeral? That's weird. You know, there's another another scene where... um the kid comes home and opens the door and his mom is sitting in one chair and Bruce Willis is sitting in the other chair and they look like they were just having a conversation or something and the kid just walked in. And so then the mom goes and has like an entire interaction with the kid and leaves him alone with Bruce Willis. And you kind of assume, and you're like, oh... They've this been is a planned. Yeah, this is a planned event, and now she's it's handing turned off to the psychologist. Yeah, but then when you know what's going on, you realize that the two he, uh, you know, Bruce Willis's character and the mother never interacted. We never saw them interact. Right, and that the kid is incredibly silent for a very long time in this, and that the mom has no clue what he is seeing and she's not he is seeing him talking to somebody the in the other room it's psychologist yeah. talking to him constantly yeah it's it's an amazing sequence when you know what's going on and that happens throughout the entire movie there's the whole movie really does work inside this world that is created so yes it seems like that um, so well staged as 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 Scott was tweeting about this, a couple of people were commenting about it and, and saying things like, but what about the plot holes? You know, surely these people would have known this or what? And like, when you watch it, those plot holes do not exist. It's the plot holes are there because we have in our mind today, a concept of what this movie is. And it it might just be our generation that grew up with it. You know, someone Mm -hmm. like maybe Marshall, my younger brother, who's 10 years younger, might not know as much about this movie. And people Mm -hmm. like my parents might not know as much, you know, future generations, I think can approach it in a different way than we who have experienced now in my Shyamalan's career for the past 13 years. And sadly, he's become something of a joke. 
Yeah, um, because, I mean, everybody knows. I see dead people. Everybody knows. He was really dead the whole time. Everybody knows like, at this point Shyamalan has a formula that he has stuck to, and I don't know why. And that's something I want to comment on here, too, in this podcast, is that I believe in M. Night Shyamalan. I still get a little bit excited about his movies because I like, I really like half of his movies. Like, there's, mm-hmm. like, there's been, for me, giant misfires like The Village and The Happening, but I I still will defend the Sixth Sense and Signs and and the Lady in the Water. It's like I really like these movies. They real I really connect to these movies, and so I don't know if um, he is a one trick pony. Essentially, if he kind of goes, that's just the kind of stories I like to tell, or if the studio because I've heard stories about the studio kind of going, no, 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 you are a funny person. You can't do drama. I wouldn't be surprised if the studio of studio somewhere were like, no, you made us the Sixth Sense. We want the Sixth Sense Part Two. Give us another movie with a, a twist ending to the point where it's like when Kelly and I went and saw The Village, we were excited because we'd seen his other movies. We'd enjoyed them. But 10 minutes in, we called it. We're like, oh, this is Shyamalan. He's going to have a twist. Uh, here's the twist ending. And we were right. And the movie kind of fell apart once you knew the twist. And it wasn't an enjoyable experience for us. So I would love to see him grow and put this formula to bed and just go no more twist endings the twist is there is no twist you know mm-hmm. and unless he has this type of script again if he had if he yeah if he has it i will watch it again and be happy yeah. but you know um yeah you know i i think him doing something i i think it was probably not the correct thing for him to do but like he did the last airbender yeah um i don't think that was a successful choice for him uh but that said I'm glad he's trying to branch out yeah. and do something different. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. The last Airbender is completely another conversation because that was a misfire on several other different levels that aren't necessarily that I'm not convinced are Shyamalan's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I just yeah, because yeah, Last Airbender is it's a great. I mean, if you ever, if anybody ever wants to see a great kids television show, Avatar: The Last Airbender is phenomenal. It's four seasons because the creators said we have a four season story. They told a wonderful story there. And then for the movie, they decided to try to condense the entire first season into two hours. And so the entire movie became exposition because that's all you can really do when you try to condense that. And so it was just a wrong adaptation process, you know? Yeah. But eh. yeah. But anyhow, my point being, I'm glad to see him trying to branch out. And I hope that he can find footing somewhere else because yes. I think he, I think this movie proves, and and the fact that he had a couple of others at least that we still enjoy, mm-hmm. um, that he's he's good at what he does, and I think I think what he does does not have to be twisty movies. Right. There was a time I know when this first came out, people were going, "Is this the next Spielberg?" You know, he, you know, this is the next Hitchcock is exactly, you know, because, you know, he, he gets stories so well and had such an amazing performance come out of Haley Joe Osment in this film. You just go, Mm -hmm. this is a phenomenal person. Um, I still think he kind of has that. He just kind of has to kind of define or redefine himself. And I look forward to future films of his. Um, that being said, if the next trailer comes out for, I don't know, the devil, mm-hmm. like that, the devil movie that came out about the people in the elevator. Wasn't interested in that. He, I know it was his story. He didn't do anything else with it, but it just, I want to see him grow and I would love to see that because I think, um, I think he's a phenomenal storyteller and I think he gets story really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So getting back to, to, uh, sorry, the sixth sense. 
The Sixth Sense, yes. Um, I do have I do have a couple of minor plot holes that I, I kind of see in it. Um, and and those really are very minor, because I, I think they're less plot holes and more... Um, unexplained story. Unexplained story elements that, like, if a sequel was made, it, that would be the stuff you would answer. Yeah. But there's a couple of things where, um, uh, like, the kid ends up getting scratches on him, and his clothes get torn and there's kind of uh, another element where he's in school and he starts yelling at the teacher and he's saying stuff and he's revealing um, things about the teacher that right. nobody should but know it's, because it's, yeah. 30, it's 30 year old information right and so it's obvious that you know it's probably once you know what's going on that it was a ghost giving him that information or whatever that you know and somehow he was being tormented by a ghost in that moment and what's interesting about all of this is that the solution to his problem is that he needs to communicate uh, both with the living, obviously, but the ghost issue, he needs to communicate with the ghosts and find out what they want and then go help them take care of it. I mean, that's kind of his... his, what his character needs to do to, to have peace. And there's kind of this element of... Okay, so if that's the solution... What are these other ghosts doing? Yeah, what are these ghosts doing who are attacking him? Isn't there still a problem with those ghosts? Maybe, I don't it's know. Pos- it's, yeah, it's, and, yeah. and again, it's like it's not necessarily, like you said, it's not necessarily a plot hole, but it would be something that would be explained in the second story arc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, because, I, you know, the second movie, I think, obviously becomes, okay, you have this kid who can now see ghosts, and it's his adventures of trying to, like, go solve their problems yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that was what kind of surprised me about this movie, too, was that it kind of felt like this was the origin story of a superhero in some ways. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is the pilot episode for that new supernatural show that's on the, you know, on AMC, you know, mm-hmm. or this is the first story arc of an ongoing comic, independent comic book series, mm-hmm. um, in which we would learn, you know, all those elements that you just saw come back and we've just laid the cornerstone for certain things that will come back and will be explained in future episodes of future seasons. Mm-hmm. But for now, since we're only getting this one two hour movie, you kind of go, then what was the pe- you know, like, their how the school in Philadelphia was apparently built on the ruins of some place where people used to be hanged. What's up with mm-hmm. that? Why is that an element? You know, what's mm-hmm. going on there? Yeah. So uh, that's maybe my biggest issue with the movie, which honestly is incredibly small. Yeah. Um, in this, in this, I mean, I bring it up because I think people do want there to be plot holes in this movie, yeah. or that they want there to be issues. And that's having rewatched this again. That's the best I can. That's find really it. yeah. You. And I think and some of that can really just kind of be ex- to a certain extent. I'm okay with explaining it away as you know when we're introduced when we're introduced to this kid, he is mm-hmm. definitely being haunted. He is being mm-hmm. um, accosted more or less by the supernatural. Um, and so, who knows how long this has been going on? And some of these ghosts might have become unruly because they just they want help, they want peace, they want rest. And he's not giving it to them. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes yeah. Bruce Willis intervening and going, oh, I know what to do with you. You mm-hmm. need to talk to people. And now mm-hmm. in the future stories, he can, he can. I'm assuming after the credits rolled, he went back to school and he talked to the the ghost and found out that, you know, the teacher used to bully him and now they're going to be okay, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, um, exactly. It, 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 it's not a huge deal, and it's the kind of thing that 
you can have a discussion about and kind of find a way to explain everything afterwards. So it's it's really not a huge and, issue. Yeah, and in and, and, and saying explain it away, not in an at all contrived way, where it's no. like, no, no, it makes sense that, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, a good writer could take it and turn it into, you know, yeah. a fantastic set of storytelling. So, um, yeah, so The Sixth Sense, it's, it's here on the list. It's number 89 on the AFI list. Scott, deservedly so, or...? Deservedly so. This is, I would say, a, a phenomenal film that that does everything it's supposed to do. It's This is a movie that um, film majors should watch. This is a movie, if you're interested in making films, you should watch this movie. If you, know, if you like kind of slightly dark uh, science fiction or supernatural stuff, uh, this is good, and this is you know it's PG thirteen, and so the horror is light. I think technically you, you could consider it a thriller because I mean, it's it's barely there. Um, I mean, it's definitely the kind of movie where you are going to, um, if you are prone to that sort of thing, you are going to jump out of your seat, or you are yeah, going to. There are there's definitely you know moments. there's there's there are moments there are some truly horrifying moments, yeah. you know, especially at the little girl's funeral. There is a moment where it's just it's just makes you angry. It just like mm-hmm. you have a very visceral reaction to something you see there, um, so there is that. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of, of you know bloody mm-hmm. some wounds. Well, I was going to say corpses, but I mean they're 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 living. Yeah, or they're not living. They're ghosts. But I mean you know they they have like their gunshot Open wounds or whatever. Wounds, yeah, and there are some significant thematic elements. I mean, there's a kid who commits suicide in the first five ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's very. Um, it's a very thematic movie and very heavy. It is. It is very dark. It's very heavy. So know that going into it. But if if you're in a place where you can deal with that, it's it's a really fascinating study on some very interesting stuff and just a good movie all yeah. around. I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So. Um, anything to add to that, Scott? Are you you happy with our uh, summation? Come back next week when we discuss uh, number eighty-eight on AFI's top one hundred films, bringing up baby. Yeah, it's a classic Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn movie. Um, so we'll see how that goes. So, uh, also, if you have any thoughts about what we've said today, if you have mm-hmm. um, movies that you want us to take a look at that aren't on this list, uh, something we're talking about doing is starting to do some uh, fan requests and that kind of thing. So, absolutely, uh, let us know on our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com. Yep, movies. Yeah, yeah. The, the, those little, we have these little mini casts. We're kind of calling them tentatively where we will discuss and analyze movies that you would like for us to discuss and analyze. Um, follow us on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scottish Fog. Um, the movies you should love is at Movies You Should. Um, and like Lauren said, www.moviesyoushouldlove.com. Yeah, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 